are working. Okay, welcome. Welcome to, is there any visitors here? Welcome to Cross Point Fellowship. I am the, the visitor guy, so I'm always looking. So uh, I'm thrilled that somebody's here <clears throat> after the announcement last week that I would be teaching. Um, let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll get, uh, we'll get started. Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to gather and God, just um, God, that you would just calm my nerves and um, well, that you would deliver um, what you would want to deliver tonight by the power of your spirit. Um, that it would be truth, and that it not would would not be of me, um, or an opinion or an idea, but God, that um, that your word would would uh, would come alive, and and that your spirit would reveal all truth tonight. Um, God, we uh, we love you for um, allowing us to gather and just study your word. It's so precious to us, and. I worship you, God, as we gather, and I pray that that would be what you hear tonight and what you see tonight. It's just an act of worship. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, my name is Clay Petzl, and uh, I think most of y'all know me. I like to say that because that's usually what I say at work a lot, and um, it just kind of breaks the ice a little bit. And what I like to say when I when I deliver a lunch um, lunch and learn what I call lunch and learns is that my name's Clay. I work for 3M, and I'm here to help. Okay, I really am. Um, tonight, Scott had, you know, several weeks ago, I was just sharing some some things that I was what I that I was reading through, and this is this is the book. Um, it's called Teaching to Change Lives by Howard Hendricks. And Corey and I are doing some renovation in our house, and we, um, we moved my office from one side of the house to the other. And I found this book at the very top uh, shelf of my bookshelf. And I, and I was like, where did I get that from? And, and then I figured out where it was. So 15 years ago, a buddy of mine, a spiritual mentor of mine, gave this book to me. So this book is, is not new. Um, and I started reading it, and man, uh, I know Scott gets tired of me sometimes sharing my passion with him, but um, he's like, hey, uh, you want to teach that on Wednesday night? <laughs> well, you know, so this is the new version of the book. Um, so old version, new version. I've got, I bought several copies, and there's only three left. So if you want one, there's one here tonight. Come up and get it. There's three more left. Um, but... The book is, is called Teaching to Change Lives, and what Howard Hendricks does, and Scott taught on Howard, uh, Living by the Books, by, or Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks, I guess, a month ago or so. In this book, what he does is he uses the word teacher. And he goes through the word, and each letter is essentially a law. So, the law of the teacher for T, the law of education for E, um, and so on and so on, or so on and so forth. Uh, what I thought I would do um, tonight and maybe over the next, if, if I get through it tonight, great. If not, um, we'll, we'll finish up next week. Let's talk about the three laws that really meant a lot to me. And uh, hopefully um, you would find some benefit 
in, in, in this as much as I have and even possibly choose this book to, uh, to be in your library. My second hope would be that you would choose to apply these laws as you teach your life groups or your youth groups, um, your children, or even your coworkers. It, it really did penetrate all of those aspects of my life from, from here uh, at church to uh, my kids to even today. I was just telling Corey this particular lesson came out in a lunch today with my customer. And um, so law number one, the law of the teacher. So it's the T in the word teacher. Hendricks says, if you stop growing today, you will stop teaching tomorrow. So if you stop growing today, you'll stop teaching tomorrow. So let's apply that to, let's apply that here. Let's apply it to uh, parenting. If you stop growing as a parent, you'll stop teaching your kids tomorrow. So what does that mean to you as a teacher? What does that mean to you as a leader? What does that mean to you as a parent with the future of the church uh, at your feet? Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6. Uh, we'll start at verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. So this is Jesus talking. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Verse 39, then he also told them a parable. And this is what I want you to see from a teaching perspective. Just think about, uh, I'm not sure Scott said it a couple of weeks ago, but the simplicity of God's word is really quite crazy. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck in your, in this, that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log? That is in your own eye. The point there that I love about that passage is it's so simple from a teaching perspective. How can a blind man lead a blind man? So God has chosen you to be one of his critical instruments and a representative to this current generation. And my challenge to you is do you believe that do you believe that God has put you here to deposit something in this future generation in the current generation do you believe that as a teacher do you believe that as a parent do you believe that as a leader I read a story here from chapter 1 
years ago. A cartoon showed two frames, each with Mr. Brown talking with a young woman in his office. In the first frame, his public school super, it was a public school superintendent, and he says, I'm awfully sorry, Mrs. Smith, but after reviewing your application for teaching position, we've decided we can't use you. We must have someone with at least five years of experience in teaching and preferably with a master's degree in education. Second frame of the cartoon, Mr. Brown is a Sunday school superintendent. So now he went from a public school superintendent to a Sunday school superintendent. And he says, you'd make a wonderful teacher, Mrs. Smith. I realize you haven't been a Christian very long and you feel like you don't know much about the Bible, but there's no finer way to learn the Bible than to teach it. And you say you have no experience working with kids in this age, but I'm convinced you'll grow to understand and love them. Really, Mrs. Smith, all we're looking for is a willing heart. Hendricks goes on to say, what a sad but true commentary on our low regard for the teaching of God's word. To teach children that two plus two equals four, you need a minimum of four years of higher education. To teach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, anything is good enough. And that's why it's too often degenerates into a ministry of mediocrity. That's why too often it degenerates into a ministry of mediocrity. He goes on to say, which I thought was funny. And Howard Hendricks, just a little side note, he's no longer with us. He died a few years ago. Uh, he was a professor down at DTS, and, and I would have loved to have sat under him. The guy that gave me this book sat under him for several semesters of uh, school. Um, I was telling Scott, his voice, has anybody ever heard him before or sat under him? Anybody? His voice, when you listen to it long enough, it's, it's John Wayne teaching the Bible. It's like kind of a slow Midwest, slow draw, awesome. So listen to John Wayne say this. In search for good teachers, I always look for fat people. Those who are faithful, available, and teachable. And I love the last one, because that reminds me of Ben McGraw. Are we teachable? So, if we stop growing today, then we stop teaching tomorrow. Hendricks does an exercise in the book, and we will do that exercise now. Okay? We're going to ask y'all to get involved. You ready? Once again... The title of the book is, is called Teaching to Change Lives. And so he asks this question. He says, how have you changed lately? In the last week or the last month or the last year? He said, you can be very vague or very specific. So this is class participation time. If you have a pen and paper, then you can add these to your notes. And if you're not taking notes, then shame on you. And I would offer you, if you're growing and changing, then you're likely taking notes. This is the most important book in the world, and I would argue that it's worth taking notes over. So, I did this exercise as I read this part of the book, and so I want to I take just about a minute here. Think about a way that you've changed. In, in any, any way, whether it's 
a job or kids or a new hairdo. A new hairdo? Carlos does not get a new hairdo. <laughs> Although I've heard his hairdo when he was in high school was pretty sweet. So, just take a minute to do that. Okay, anybody want to share? Yes, go ahead. Yes. Mhm. 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 Right. Mm, good. To homeschooling. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Very good. So, changed by trusting the Lord more. And changed by He stretched you in homeschooling. Good. It's quite a change. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Was it good, though? Okay. Okay, and we'll talk about that answer in a minute. Anybody else? How have you changed? Isn't that a good question? Yes. Good. And you've told, you've told us that in life group. Yeah, that's good. How has that changed you, though? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Good. Good. I love it. There's the change. He restricted himself on what comes in. Okay, good. Go ahead, Patrick. About eight months ago, I had a job
Good. Awesome. We'll talk about it in a little while if we get there, but there's a law of readiness. Patrick is, he is becoming ready to hear God's word. And I think First Samuel was quoted this last weekend, maybe, the weekend before that from Ben. And if you're in First Samuel and Ben mentions it from the pulpit, then it's more worshipful. It just is. Good. So, Cody, um, go ahead and throw that slide up for me, the first slide. So this is a, uh, essentially a picture out of the book, and I'll read it to you. If you want to become a change agent, you must, you must also change. He says, allow me to draw your life. And just picture John Wayne saying this again, please. If the arrows of your life, your frontiers, your questions, your interests, your mental energies move this way, where all the arrows are moving towards you, then you're in the process of dying. Can you see John Wayne saying that? But if the arrows in your life are moving in these directions, then you're in the, you are developing. And this has nothing to do with your age, incidentally, and everything to do with your attitude. I thought that was a really good picture of that. Hendricks says, I'm so tired of running into people who say, well, Brother Hendricks, I'm just getting too old. He said, how old is too old, I ask? Have you died? Oh, no, no, I'm still alive. Good. Then learn, or else you will slowly die mentally. And then you may as well lie down, and we'll put you in a box. Now, in seeing this slide and reading these quotes, I think we'd all agree that Christ ultimately is the ultimate change agent. Hebrews 13.8 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You said tomorrow earlier too. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 9. Really interesting and applicable for tonight. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So, so Jesus does not change, but he changes others. In John 13, I'll read you a passage here about him washing the disciples' feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own 
who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and then he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, beginning of verse 4, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, why do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. When he had washed their feet, coming down to verse 12, when he washed their feet and put, on his, put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So what made the disciples change in that passage, do you think? You must also wash one another's feet. They saw it done. He displayed for them how to do it. The second, a second example of this is um, the woman at the well in John 4. If you're in John, just move over to John 4. A woman from Samaria, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came down to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to, to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them, that I give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is a little more difficult, maybe, to see what made the woman change. But Hendricks notes that Christ asked the woman very provoking questions. He did not simply answer her question. Listen to his, listen to his, uh, listen to his answer, verse 13. If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The other answer was, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. He did not simply answer her question, but he, quest- he questions her answers. So, he asked great thought-provoking questions and he spoke the truth. So, why must we change or grow? And we can change and not grow, but we can't grow and not change. So we had some folks that just share with us about changing. Would you say that you grew? Yeah. But you understand, we can change and not grow. But you can't grow without changing. And so... um, Listen to Paul's motivation. Philippians 3.13. Y'all might know this by heart. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Hendricks notes, we learn from the past, but we don't live in it. Christ says, press on. Don't live there. So, if we're growing, then we are changing. Would you agree? And we're changing. If we're changing, then we're learning. So, press on to be the change agent that God has called you to be. The second law would be the law of education. So the E in the word teacher. This is the E in the word teacher. The law of education. I'll read another quote from you. Or from, for you. From the book. This is by a man by the name of John Milton Gregory. And Hendricks quotes him a lot. I was telling Scott. I have no idea who the guy is. But he quotes him a lot. So I would imagine he's. Anybody know who John Milton Gregory is? You ever heard that name before? I had neither. Good stuff, though. The true function of the teacher is to create the most favorable conditions for self-learning. True teaching is not that which gives knowledge, but that which stimulates pupils to gain it. One might say that he that teaches best is he who teaches the least. Think for a moment about exactly who you are teaching. If you're in the youth, if you're a life group shepherd, if you are a parent, okay, you know who you are. Who are you teaching? Okay. So the way or ways that a particular person or group learns, determines how you're going to teach them. Would you agree? You're going to teach youth different from what you would teach adults or children from youth to adults. So Hendricks does a really um, 
interesting thing here. He defines the word education. Who, who's a professional teacher here? You are. Anybody else? Teach for a living? So, Cody, I'm going to put you on the spot. Define the word education. <laughs> okay, how about the root word in the word education? You are going to love this. When I saw this, I was like, this is crazy. The root word is educe, E-D-U-C-E. This is just straight out of Webster's, but it's pretty profound. He, he, he defines it as, as to draw out. Have y'all heard to draw out before? Okay. So the, so the word is defined as to bring out. Listen to the synonyms here. Elicit or evoke, inspire or raise, to call forth. And then it goes on to say, educe, evoke, elicit, extract, extort, mean to draw out something hidden or reserved. To educe implies the bringing out of something potential. Evoke implies, to, implies a strong stimulus that arouses an emotion or an interest or recalls an imagery. To elicit usually implies some effort or skill in drawing forth a response. So as we educate, we're drawing, we're doing so to draw out of those that we're teaching. So how do we as teachers, parents, and leaders draw things, draw out things from those we are teaching? And so if there's examples of ways that you do this in your life group or even in, at work or your um, youth group, and this is, this is tough to think about because it takes effort to ask questions that are going to make people think. And it really convicted me here from a life group shepherd's perspective. Hendrick says, tell the learner nothing and do nothing for him that he can learn or do for himself. Tell the learner nothing and do nothing for him that he can learn or do for himself parents in here there's plenty of parents in here there's grandparents in here so I promise if you implement that this week with your kids it'll change your life I, I, it is from the pulpit right here you will change y'all this is so so good for kids for children for at least for me it was when because we pick up, we do, we go, we do, we pick up. Anybody? Can I get in? I mean, anybody? Picking up, picking up, picking up. So the next time you want to pick something up, whether it's a dirty plate, 
or dirty socks, ask them to do it. Tell the learner nothing and do nothing for him that he cannot learn or do for himself. Profound. Now, did we do that before? Sure. But I, I, I promise you, when this is fo the forefront, it's going to, it will teach the kids, your children, to do it on their own. So, yes. You can do all those things for me, though. Please continue to <laughs> fold my clothes. <laughs> it's awesome. But it was a good lesson. I needed to do You know, um, the McCullers were dear to us. We, we miss them. But uh, um, Scott used to say, I think Will knows how to wash his clothes and, like, everything. Like, he does it all. I'm like, please make me feel, you know, like trash again. So uh, Im Im imply or implement that this week. He goes on to describe that a teacher and a learner have well-defined roles. The teacher is the stimulator and the motivator. This morning, we're going to school, getting ready for school. Trash is full. So we've got chalkboard that has, you know, Brooks and Nate on there, and it has their responsibilities. And uh, trash is full. Whose trash day is it? Well, it's Brooks's. So I'm wrapping the trash up. And I could take the trash out. Okay? And y'all, hey, we're not perfect parents, so maybe y'all been doing this for years, and that's great. <laughs> Charlie, I'm sure you're a great trash taker-outer. Mia, even with the broken leg, you probably still do it well. So, so Brooks is like, that's me. And so as I'm wrapping the trash up, no joke, I'm thinking about tonight. I'm not going to do it for him. Whose trash day is it? Brooks? Okay. So I wrap it up. Here you go, bud. And he walks it out. I could have walked it out. And he didn't have the initiative yet to go wrap the trash up and do it himself. But I think as Jesus got up and started wrap the towel, that's what he's doing. Or that's what I was attempting to do this morning. So the teacher is the stimulator and the motivator. The learner is an investigator and the discoverer. And the learner is the doer. They are the doer and they follow your example. Hendrick states here that the test of the teacher is not how well he or she does, but how well the learner does in life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What he's telling them is put into practice what I have taught you. 
Imagine for a moment that these are your last days. And you are to deposit something, a teaching or a word of wisdom or some sort of truth into others. It's your last days. What would it be? What would you tell them? Paul's charge here was to take in and receive the word that he had charged them with, which was the truth. To first of all, know it themselves. We have to spend time, encouraged by Patrick's word, Robert, just to spend time alone with the Lord in his word. We have to know it ourselves. Um... And then deposit it into the lives of other like-minded individuals so that they can teach others and that they can teach others. And to stay in line with our second point, to educate or draw out, Paul is charging them to do, to continue to draw out of the people that we teach or lead the goodness that God has equipped them with and then to use that goodness for his glory. So one thing that Hendricks makes a point here, and I've done it a lot tonight, a few moments ago, there's, there's been quite a few pauses, and he calls these points of tension in a teaching setting, and it's kind of awkward sometimes, where we just stop talking, and he have y'all done this? Anybody done this before in small group, black group? Yet oftentimes he says it's not easy for the teacher or learner in this moment, but it's indispensable. The reason why it's indispensable is when the life group is too large, And you pause as a leader, as a teacher, and you pause. If the life group is too large, there won't be enough people to respond. If the life group is at the right size, and this is just some thoughts that, that we have as life group leaders. And we've heard this from people, members of our church then they don't feel like that they can share. It's not intimate enough. The tension, he says, too much tension leads to frustration and stress and anxiety as we're trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to educate, we're trying to draw things out of people. Well, they're frustrated now because no one's saying anything and the, the group is too large and I don't want to say anything. So too much tension leads to frustration and stress and anxiety. And they don't return to life group. But too little tension produces apathy. And they don't return to life group. 
So he goes on to ask what I think is a very penetrating question for the teacher. Do you keep the people in your life group feeling comfortable? Do you keep your children feeling comfortable? As I was reading over this this morning and just studying and praying, I was really convicted by just this comment again. I've got a thing on my wall in my office that says, reject passivity, reject, reject passivity, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. How many of us seek to be comfortable and we don't reject the passivity and we become passive? So, being comfortable is not always good in a teaching setting. Or, your life group or the ones that you're teaching, they are disturbed by the fact that they realize that you're serious about what you're delivering. And to the point that they must see it for themselves. I've got to read this for myself, they say. I've got to try this out in real life. And, and I proudly confess that this is me after Sunday worship. Is it not you? When we hear the things that are delivered from this pulpit on Sunday, don't you want to go and talk about it at lunch? I mean, we're talking about it before we leave the parking lot most of the time. What did you think about that? Man, that was so good. And we're turning around asking the boys. Just give me one thing. <laughs> one thing. Did you remember one thing? Just one. You know, just one thing. Uh, he said Star Wars this morning, you know. The opposite would be the tragic production of comfortable learners. So do not underestimate as we're teaching, as we're educating, as we're educing the power of the silent tension. How are we doing on time? Okay. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I think we can get through this. There's three goals under the law of education. Yes, and we'll, we'll get to the third law next, next week. So there's three goals that I thought were really, really good under the law of education. Um, and, that, and that we should have concerning our objectives as we teach. Goal number one, teach people how to think. Teach people how to think. Remember, the title of this book is Teaching to Change Lives. And Hendricks makes the point under this goal that if you want to change a person permanently, make sure his thinking changes and not, near, not necessarily his behavior. Think for a moment about the people in your life that have made the greatest impact on you. 
Think for a moment. about the people in your life, the person in your life that made the greatest impact on you? Was it a parent? Was it a pastor? Was it a friend? You have that person in your head? For me, it was a professor in college. Biology professor, and he always asked us why. It just changed me. We'd answer and he'd go, why? Well, why do you think that? And it drove us nuts. But he became one of my best friends. Um, Hendricks argues, argues that those people were likely those who simply planted small seeds over a long period of time. Would you agree? I see y'all shaking your head. Would you agree with that? That was Dr. Roth for me. In essence, they change the way you think. And many times it takes years to develop this. I was in college for five years. Four and a half. Wasn't it, babe? Was it? I, I was there. Yes. Sorry. I didn't apologize. So, goal number two. So, goal number one is teach them how to think. Goal number two Teach people how to learn. This is the one that totally fascinated me. Especially for teachers. I'm going to learn this guy. I'm going to learn him. How do you do, how do, you do that? You know. Um, Hendricks leads off with this. Stop learning today. Stop living tomorrow. Stop learning today. Stop living tomorrow. He goes on to describe this as the learning synthesis. The guy that gave me this book, he called it the learning cycle. You ever seen that before? You ever seen the learning cycle? You know, like the life cycle of a plant or life cycle of whatever. And it's just a circle. So his was... Um, Experience, behavior, you take something new in, you experience it, behavior, and it changes the way you behave. At the very last, you tell somebody else what you've learned, or you share it. So this synthesis he calls, the synthesis, this learning synthesis, is when we move from the big picture of what we're learning... To an analysis of the parts, break them all down, seeing their meaning in the light of the whole, and then we put them all back together. So Scott taught on living by the book. Anybody read that book since he's taught it? Living by the book by Howard Hendricks. The observation, interpretation, and application. Everybody remember that? That's what he's teaching right there. So, we've moved from the big picture of what we're learning to an analysis of the parts. If um, he does an exercise in the living by the book, changed my life as far as reading God's word. He says, one of the points of the book is read repeatedly 
He says, read the book of Esther seven times and see if you can go tell the story. You ever read anything seven times? Do it. And so I did it. And I tried to tell a story to Corey. And it's okay. But read it repeatedly. And so you get the full story and you get it. The other thing he says is read less and meditate more. So read less of the passage and meditate more. something I tell my boys a lot is you haven't learned something until you can tell or show someone else how to do it. Hendrick states that the truth is always more profitable and productive when you can see it for yourself. The truth is always more profitable and productive when you can see it done for yourself. So not only are we telling the truth, but we're showing people the truth. Remember, Christ simply got up. He got up. He took the initiative. Which leads me to the last goal. Teach people how to work. Goal number three, teach people how to work. So again, we're back in John 13. And I'm going to read this uh, passage again because it's so applicable to the life of a teacher. But we, we'll start at verse 4. And they had come from God, and that God, and was going back to God, he rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel. He tied it around his waist, and he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We're reading this again because I want you to see the power of the teacher, capital T. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what am I doing you do not understand now, or what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Down to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on, his, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? How many times have we said that to our kids? After we feel like we've shown them something, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So take notice of the physical action that Jesus is doing. He simply gets up. 
we have to be willing to get up and do something different in the, in the setting that we're teaching in or the setting that we're leading in. Do something different. Bring a chalkboard or an easel or a dry erase board to life group. Draw a map of Israel and show them where the northern and southern kingdom are. Do something different. Be willing to get up. Second, secondly, he personally does the washing. He does it himself. And then lastly, he charges them, now you go do the same. He's teaching them how to work. How to think, how to learn, and how to work. He's teaching them how to work. So Cody, um, we'll end with this. How are we doing on time? Sweet. It's like I've done this every week or something. God, it's awesome. Okay, Cody, show the next slide. Anybody ever seen that before? Anybody seen a sign like that? So this is, um, Corey and I were married 15 years. We were, her husband, the wonderful guy that he is, found this cabin up in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, we were going to spend time there in our 15-year wedding anniversary. And Corey's grandpa got ill, and we decided that uh, we had to take our kids with us. So we did some exploring when we got to the Smoky Mountain National Forest, and we saw this, this sign, and I took a picture of it. Anybody ever been to Yellowstone? Anybody? No? Yeah, you have. Have y'all seen this there? The sign? A sign? Okay, I'll, I'll wrap up with a story. I know I'm totally boring, y'all. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. If you've never been to Yellowstone National Park, you're probably given a piece of, if you've ever been to Yellowstone National Park, you've probably given a piece of paper by a ranger at the park entrance. On it, in big letters, was the warning, do not feed the bears. You no sooner drive through the heart of the park, however, than you see people feeding the bears. When I first saw this, remember, John Wayne, when I first saw this, I asked a ranger, sir, he answered, you have only a small part of the picture. He described how the Park Service personnel in the fall and the winter have to carry away the bodies of dead bears, bears who have lost their ability to offend for food. He says, that's what's happening to us. He said, I want to ask you a question. It may be convicting, so fasten your seatbelt. Are you one of the culprits in this? Are you part of the problem or are you working on the solution? Never forget that your task is to develop people who are self-directed, who are disciplined, who do what they do because they choose to do it. That's why I suggest you spend more time questioning answers than answering questions. Our job is not to give a quick and easy answers, patent medicine solutions that never work in the realities of life. It's far, far better to have students leave your class scratching their heads with questions that they think and talk about and with problems they're eager to find solutions to for the rest of the week ahead. Then you know you've got some education going on. 
rather than polite yawns you usually get. And he said, before we leave the subject, be assured that it takes work to get people to work. Teach them how to work. So next week, we will, we will explore the third law, which is the law of readiness, which I mentioned that Patrick reminded me of. And this has to do with just coming to worship ready. Okay? Um, and then we'll look at maybe some specific ways that, some specific methods that Christ used uh, as he taught. So, any final comments? Any? Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives us when the teacher is prepared, it gives us a different perspective um, because we know what needs to be drawn out of our children or our class. Good word, Steve. Okay, let's pray. We'll wrap up. God, thank you for this time together. God, I just think that, uh, I, I just, I hope and pray that you were glorified tonight and God, that you were honored, that um, I thank you for this man, Howard Hendricks, and just um, his passion for teaching and learning, and, and Lord, I pray that you would give us that same passion, that his legacy lives on through this book, but just knowing him, Lord, I know that he would not take credit for that, that the honor is due to you, I pray that we would... Um, Seek to be better learners as we spend time with you and alone in your word. And then teachers, Lord, as we, um, as we take what we've received from you and share it with others. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.